0: Welcome to Unlocking Insights, the series where we speak with company founders and senior business leaders from across the globe as part of Unlocking Ambition, Scotland's flagship entrepreneurial development programme. Unlocking Ambition is a business accelerator that provides intensive wraparound support for Scotland's most promising and talented entrepreneurs, amplifying Scottish innovations that will benefit society, the environment and the economy. Poonam Gupta, OBE, is a Scottish Indian entrepreneur and philanthropist. Poonam is Chief Executive of PG Paper, which she founded from her kitchen table in 2003 and which now exports to more than 50 countries. Poonam was appointed Officer of the Order of the British Empire, OBE, for her services to business and charity in the 2017 New Year's Honours. In 2017, Poonam also formed Women's Business Mentoring, which provides business mentoring schemes to women across Scotland. In conversation with Bruce Walker on behalf of Unlocking Ambition, Poonam talks about her journey and learning as an entrepreneur, emigrating to Scotland and becoming a business owner. With all our guests on Unlocking Insights, please remember that all views expressed are reflective of their personal and professional experience and not intended to represent their employers look out for other episodes in the series. For now, this is Unlocking Insights with Poonam Gupta in conversation with Bruce Walker.
1: Excellent. Poonam, thank you so much for being with us. We are so lucky to have you with us. For those that that don't know, Poonam uh, Gupta, OBE, is the Chief Executive of PG Paper, um, and we're, we're really lucky to have you here with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. And hello to everyone from India. I came to India to take care of some business, so I'm very glad to be here too.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for tuning in on the other side of the world. Um, Maybe we could just get started with finding out a little bit about you and your background and how you got started in business.
2: I was born and brought up in India. I came to Scotland back in 2002. And I couldn't find a job when I landed in Scotland, uh, even though I had a master's in business administration and an economics honors degree behind me. And for a while, I kind of just thought, okay, what do I want to do with myself? I took a job with a local chartered accountant, which was a voluntary position. And I really uh, enjoyed learning about how business, if you like, is done. Companies are set up in Scotland. And I think that was it. I wanted to see if I could start my own business. And I started PG paper after 10 months of hard work, research, lot of cold calls. He was born in 2003, three from my kitchen table, you can say.
1: Wow. Um, and you know, now I, I believe you export to about 55 countries. Was that always the intention? Did you know that you wanted to be an international business from Scotland or when in the process did you decide that's what you wanted to do?
2: I played with a lot of ideas when I came to Scotland. I, the, the PG was definitely not my first business idea, if you, like, if you like. you know, I was always full of ideas. Can I do this? Can I do that? One thing that was clear to me, I had this connection with India. And I was looking to see, is there anything from India being a main manufacturing hub internationally that I could import into the UK? And that kind of wasn't quite working out for me. At the time, recycling was the buzzword. And I started looking into recycling and I did thorough research and I realized there is something in it and that I could buy products in Europe, USA, in the Western world, if you like, and export to India. That's how the business started. But... I guess, you know, with the journey, I kind of changed my plans. Initially, it was the first two-year plan, then a five-year plan. And within the first two years, I kind of, if you like, mastered everything I needed to know about trading as such, sending products uh, half the way across Mm -hmm. the world. And once I learned the basics, you know, then it was only a matter of time that I was going to start expanding to other countries. So I added Pakistan, Sri Lanka, then came China. And I think then the ambition just grew bigger to see how many more countries could I add, you know, to the PG map. And that's how the business just expanded. And that is still how we operate.
1: Mm. It seems very much like learning by doing, you know, having that experience of just trying it. And then as you get more confident, starting to expand and expand further and further.
2: When I came over, you know, I didn't really, you can imagine, I came from one country to another country. There was a lot to learn, a lot to learn in terms of, you know, culture, adjusting to a new way of living. India is completely different than how the UK operates, both personally, there was a lot to learn. But one thing I learned, and, you know, plus I didn't know many people, so mentoring was an issue. I didn't know any businesses Mm. like what I was trying to do, which were in international trade. So the only choice was, you know, learning um, by myself. But what did come in handy at the time, I remember very clearly. Initially, uh, Business Gateway gave me a grant of about a thousand pounds, which helped me start up because I came, I had no money to start my business. And then very quickly, as I was, you know, expanding, I got introduced into Scottish Enterprise. And at the time, Scottish Enterprise were running some great courses regarding logistics, payments, international payments. And you can say that helped me fast track my learning process. Excellent. So I also recommend to whoever is, you can get yourself into whatever course or, you know, find a way to learn, you know, that business you want to be in, please take that step and try and skill yourself.
1: Definitely. And I think it's great to hear that you're able to get support from Business Gateway and Scottish Enterprise. And we're, we are actually very lucky that, that these services exist here. Um, how, how have things been in the last in the last year for you you know the world has uh, has gone into to disruption how has that impacted your business and, and how have you responded
2: we have offices in five different countries including china so when the whole situation with this covid developed in china uh, in november 2019 we were taking lead from our chinese office we have business in a lot of far eastern countries like japan south korea And it kind of became quite obvious that, you know, uh, this, whatever, you know, this pandemic was going to explode internationally. I guess what helped us a little bit during the situation, of course, it's been one of the most difficult times any business has seen, you know, in my 18, 19 years of working, this has been the most difficult challenge that we have been faced with. There is no doubt. And I know other businesses are also facing this challenge, especially I think worst hit everybody knows is the hospitality industry. But because we had offices in five different countries and we have a back office in India and we've had it for over five years, we were used to people from home. So we were already into technology like, you know, you and I are speaking today where, you know, we do we we were doing weekly calls with our team, you know, our entire team. So I guess that experience that we had already gained, having been working in all different countries, offices in different time zones, people working from home. That came in really handy. Um, my head office in Greenock, you know, we have about now 32 people who operate from there. In the beginning of March, when there was no plan for lockdown in the UK, we had, we were already stress testing our business by asking people to work from home so we could maintain social distancing. And all of that played into the success of PG over the last we had to change our plans, expansion plans drastically. It more became about survival than expansion. We also anticipated that things will become harder around this time that we are seeing right now because of supply chain disruptions that we saw, you know, during COVID. So I guess a little bit of, um, you know, the past experience we've had helped us through these uh, difficult times. And we try to keep our team supported by constantly being in touch with them, providing the support they needed, you know, being more caring, if you like, as employers and as management as much as possible, because it can be very lonely and very hard, you know, for people to be constantly stuck in one area and working. And some people were more productive and some people were really struggling. So we had to work out, you know, who were struggling and who were, you know, good with the situation as it was and just kind of tweak support at managerial levels and even at management, upper management level to ensure that our stream was not just safe, but also kind of mentally, you know, considering their mental well-being, their, you know, physical safety. I think we did whatever was possible. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It sounds like, and it it sounds as though you benefited from having a a kind of innovative culture already where you were able to adapt quite quickly. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a massive cultural shock to use technology, and you you know you're already having that in place. And I think that's a great lesson for for companies now is to think you don't know what's around the corner, you don't know when you know a natural disaster like this you know hits, and have you got the culture in place to be able to respond to that?
2: Absolutely.
1: Um, and I should say that if people have got questions, please feel free to ask them as we go through into the Q and A, and we'll we'll ask Punam them as we go through. Um, I'd love to know what your experience has been, Poonam, with uh, suppliers, manufacturers in other countries, you know, how have you set up partnerships or how do you work within these other countries to set up supply chains and, and kind of what's that process been?
2: So, you know, as I started in India, India was mainly a consumer market. What was the background of my success in India was understanding the culture and how people operated in India. The, the very thing played into how we sourced from Europe and you know, from the UK, from USA, I was not inherit, inherently from the Western world. So, you know, I did take time to understand the Western culture. And I think this is the same mm. formula. I apply every country or, you know, I teach now my people who work, you know, we work with, you know, apply the same formula, go first, you know, whichever countries on, you know, our list, understand how people operate, understand the culture, Times are different now, but, you know, go out, you know, set up meetings, go out, meet people and supply chains kind of operate in a similar way. It's a few tweaks, you know, which happen in every country. It's understanding what are the requirements for uh, those countries, understanding you're taking local help, outsourcing that all played into, you know, success of having manufacturers. I think we have manufacturers in 15 different countries, and I think that all into that plus very soon we realize. I think about three or four years into business, that multilingual team will help. I think we have about more than 12 different languages spoken um, in in, a, in PG. And for example, now we have an office, somebody operating from South America, somebody's in China, somebody's in Turkey, somebody's in Sweden. So I think, you know, we have also gone ahead and hired in last few years, local people, you know, which put into the organization and make sure that we have supply chains protected in these countries. Mm.
1: And, you know, you're talking really about a really diverse team, you know, skill sets, backgrounds. How do you think the having a diverse team with different languages and backgrounds has, has helped you?
2: Like I said in the previous answer, it's about, you know, understanding culture of work, you know, and how people operate in different countries. And, you know, with these multicultural people, obviously, you know, if you go, and want to sell in Spain where, you know, English might not be the first preference for people. If you have somebody who's Spanish speaking, then, you know, they, they, it's very easy to do business in that country. I have an partner in Japan and they help us with all the business in Japan. In, in Japan, people can speak English, but again, Japanese culture and the way they operate is very, very different. We've learned from them. They've learned from us. And these partnerships, in fact, Japan, is currently one of our uh, major suppliers and uh, all the time people used to tell me it's very difficult to do business in japan but you know in last 5 years you know we have been very very successful in japan to the point that we are thinking about acquiring a company yeah. in japan it's all about you know understanding cultures understanding people you know being um dynamic about how we are going to speak to somebody and not being very rigid in our own approach as to, you know, you should talk language and speak. It's giving respect and getting that respect back.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic answer. Fantastic answer. Um, and we've got some some questions that have come in here. Um, Alan's asking, how are you dealing with the different tax regulations in, in, in different countries? Uh,
2: we export. Uh, so it, from certain countries, we export. So, you know, again, like I said, you know, we would have somebody who would be who would we would outsource to and they would take care of all the local legal requirements for us. Um, We do try to understand the process and make sure all the legal requirements and local requirements are met. We export to a lot of countries when we are exporting to a lot of countries, we generally have to give the information that we need in terms of paperwork, you know, any special certificates they require. And then, you know, our job comes to an end when the product has reached their shore. So then we are not responsible for the local taxes and whatever. Once, you know, the paper enters their country, we are we are not responsible. In certain cases, like in Southern America, where we do operate in such a way that we give delivery to the door of the customer. Then in that case, again, we find a good organization who can help support us with, you know, making sure that we meet all the legal requirements, they explain everything to us, and then we make sure that, you know, uh, we maintain and make sure that all the requirements are met. So it's about, you know, finding your local um, organizations like DIT, for example, which is um, uh, to make sure that, you know, we are in touch with the right companies wherever we need.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I think using examples of DIT and SDI and and those services are really able to, to give you detailed detailed information. And Alison is asking, in terms of actually finding international partners to establish relationships, manufacturing, what process did you go through to to find them?
2: Well, you know, uh, Google, for example, is a good start. So much research is available. There are directories available. You know, uh, even 18 years ago, I remember there were multiple paper manufacturers directly And then British High Commissions in various countries, wherever we were stuck, we used to go to them. Now, actually, this research is even more easily accessible. Like, you know, again, SDI does a fantastic job in making sure they connect you to the right companies uh, wherever, you know, you want to be, or DIT, like I mentioned. And sometimes even there are uh, independent commercial organizations that you can go to. Um, For example, you know, our bank themselves, they launch a platform where people can network and connect with each other. These days you've got LinkedIn, which is a great platform as well to find out you know who your right people are to talk to. So I guess it's much more easier to get hold of that research than it used to be.
1: Excellent. Um, and Javier is asking, Is how have you managed to grow? Have you yeah. taken investment? Have you raised funds through banks? How, how have you kind of financed the growth?
2: Well, I have financed my growth by uh, through through the financial institutions like bank. You know, our bank supports us quite heavily. Um, For the first five years, I did. You know, most women entrepreneurs, as data will show you, are generally scared to go out um, for investment in the beginning of the business. I think I'm guilty of the same. If I had a chance, I would do things differently. For the first five years, I kind of self financed through customers. You know, I. Kind of made my comfort. I was giving them better deals, so they pay me upfront, and that helped me finance my deals. But after five years, I realized that the company was going. This was not going to be enough. But by that time, I already had a proven track record, so it was easier to go to the bank, show them our books, and you know, get the facilities. I think the first was about a million pounds. Today, I think our facilities are over, um, run in billions. You know, with the with the banks, I still prefer to raise mm. money through the banks.
1: Excellent thank you um we've got a question here from puja who has asked which was the first country that pg expanded to after the uk and india can you share uh your early internal internationalization journey
2: uh, the first country was india and the second country that was added to the mix was uh, pakistan that was the second country again the way of working in pakistan was very similar to india so it was easy and then like i I mentioned it was Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, kind of the same Indian subcontinent, if you like. And then it, uh, I, I added China, Indonesia, Philippines to the mix. And the, the, the concept remained the same. It's understanding the requirements, understanding how people operate. And, you know, just the thing I said, give respect, get respect, you know, be nice to people, be patient with them. I think that all kind of played into that. It's
1: kind of those very... Um human characteristics isn't it that actually you know at the end of the day people want to do business with people that that they like and they get on with and they feel like they have a good relationship with and that seems to be the case regardless of which country or city or town that you you base in
2: absolutely i would say that is the case you know a customer i am well the the key quotation is the custom that customer is king i say within reason the customer is sometimes You know, maybe the demand is too much and then it's a case of understanding why, what, you know, and whether there's cost associated with it and discuss with the customer that maybe this isn't fair. But it's all about communication, you know, clear, precise communication and not over promising and under delivering. Don't make promises that one can't keep. If I had orders that I couldn't fulfill, I would always tell my customer, please, I'm sorry, I can't do this. It hurts to lose the order, but I'd rather be honest with them than to keep them lingering and always answer the phone, especially if I see a conflict coming on, it's important to be available when somebody is not happy with you. And I think that's, again, something that I teach my team. Do not bury your head in sand when problems happen. Try and figure out what the solution is and go in and try and resolve the matter and take support from the rest of the team.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that integrity of, you know, feeling like, Um, you know we need to take things on head on and and not running away from things and and being authentic with with people is is what it sounds like. I was going to say I have to ask you about the dreaded Brexit um, and how has how has Brexit impacted you uh, and and PG um, yeah maybe we'll start with that has it impacted you?
2: Um, Well Brexit kind of got postponed so many times there were operational issues that did a the business you know there are certain countries where there were special duty structures within europe and those countries and you know people panicked. the order booked the order book suffered in the short run but i'd say that period kind of passed in 15 days time the business did suffer because nobody knew knew you know what were the new trade treaties going to look like but i think it's all kind of starting to settle down um we kind of felt the most effect of it you know couple of times in the middle when the date got postponed but majorly between november and end of january but i like you know for example we export from finland and then you know suddenly we required a new um customs number or something in finland that you know we didn't know we needed but finnish customs were really good and they kind of you know came through within 24 hours so that didn't affect the business so as much as we thought brexit would affect our business it didn't really have such an adverse effect on our business, but then most of our markets are like 99% export based business where we are going further afar from Europe, yep. if we were, you know, maybe operating mainly in Europe, perhaps the business would have been more affected, but because we are more towards America, you know, all the South America, Asia, all these other countries, it didn't really affect. Do, us do
1: that. you think then in that case that there might be some opportunities for you with Brexit? Do you think it opens up any additional opportunities?
2: Not yet. I hope that, you know, as more and more things become clear, you know, and the United Kingdom makes its further treaties with other countries, you know, I see opportunities coming for PG, but, you know, most of our paper gets manufactured outside the UK. So I think, you know, as far as bias being a British company by European countries, we should be fine.
1: Yep. Excellent. Um, I've got a question here from Rob, which is what company structure do you think is best as a company grows to international markets? Is it better to have a holding company which owns each business or uh, does each business, does each international business allocate shares? Well, it just, I
2: You know, it just depends upon what kind of business, you know, um, we are talking about here. I do have, I can talk about my company. I do have a holding company, which holds a few of my companies. um, But I also have companies separate, completely separate, which are not part of my holding company. Depends, you know, the kind of business. So my paper business and there are some other trading businesses which are held by a holding company that structured work. Um, but in other uh, businesses, which I have, like I have something in hospitality and um, then, you know, they are not held by my holding company. It's just working with your accountant, you know, or whoever is advising you and see what what fits best for
1: Absolutely. you. Um, and then question I've got here about you're speaking earlier about, you know, COVID disrupted some kind of international supply chains. You know, what do you do in that situation? How do you start solving the problems when you realize that there's a an international problem with maybe a supply chain. Um, what do you do to overcome those types of problems?
2: During COVID, the problems were different than what we are facing today. Okay. You know, like, like in the peak of COVID, let's, like we're still in the COVID period. Yeah. So during the peak of COVID in the beginning when nobody knew what was happening and, you know, the governments were also kind of, they had to play by the year, change the advisory every single day. Um, people were less, more unsettled That time, the disruption, you know, we took care of because we have always had multiple sources of procurement that helped. You know, we do not rely generally on relief for one product in one country. And that is something we learned and taught other businesses as well. So imagine if all my business would have come to a standstill. But because my supplies were coming from China, Japan. South Korea, America, you know, all the countries kind of did shut down for a while eventually, but it happened in different phases. So that helped us to chop and change our procurement strategy. Kind of we we changed that. That helped today. Where we are facing, what we are facing is the after effect of all those lockdowns that multiple countries have. Now a lot of countries are operating. They are not in a lockdown. They are still, you know, operating, I would say, with social distancing and everything, but the economies are open, like India. Uh, for example, right now what we are facing is a lot of external pressure of, or if you like, after effects. You know, um, and and I get problem at a time sometimes, and you know, also accepting that there are certain external issues that we cannot. You know, there is nothing that we can. So the only thing we do is keep trying. There is a lot of frustration that builds up, and that's when you know the teams need support to say, guys. You know, let's find out, you know, if we can't do this today, when can we do this? In 15 days' time, in a month's time, let's plan things. Planning becomes really important. And that's how we are kind of trying to tread the uh, the waters right now. Uh,
1: it's again, that kind of flexibility, that innovative approach allows you to not be reliant on one one source and be able to be dynamic enough to move as and when is required. I think that's a really, really important oh. lesson for businesses that... You can't become over reliant on any one source. And there's so much going on with your business. Is I also am just wondering how you personally manage that, and and how do you, what do you do to take time for yourself to kind of manage your own mental health and your own personal development through all this?
2: I try and steal some me time every so often. Um, number one, business for me is also my hobby. So, you know, some people golfing, some people like swimming, you know, one should always, you know, go ahead. Um, my hobby is working, you know, and sometimes my hobby is learning about other businesses, reading what others are doing. And I think I do kind of make sure that I make time for reading. Um, I do keep part of my diary always flexible. And that's important because, you know, there are so much last minute things happening. I, I do not personally, I, I don't think it's a good trade to have. I'm not very regimental so you know i do like to keep my flexibility a little bit i think that you know being a mother you know my children came along when i started after i started my business i always had to keep that flexibility to make sure that i was taking care of them and taking care of the, of the business so i still kind of like that level of flexibility it kind of helped me to give me that me time and the time i need when I shouldn't be thinking about anything or I should be thinking about something other than business, spending time with family, is something else that yeah. I really enjoy.
1: Excellent. And then I suppose just to summarize then, is what do you, how would you summarize your top tips or advice for people who are listening today, who are looking to get set up internationally and export or import? Um, what would be your top tips for getting started?
2: Generally, I have seen people are scared of international trade. Something that I have learned over the year, it's actually no different than selling domestically. It's just about, like I said, I took help of half day course, which taught me, you know, how do the payments work? You know, it was another half day course, which taught me how logistics work. And I promise you, it was worth every minute I spent in that course. So it's about, you know, kind of understanding, skilling yourself and, you know, knowing. So you want to export to Japan, what do you need? You know, do you need to go? What is the mode of transport? It's about starting from basics and building on that those basics, and you know, tra- test the waters with a smaller risk, but also make sure you mitigate your risk. And you can do that easily by either talking to your banks and asking them what's the best way to secure the payment. I generally find actually internationally it's easier to secure payments than it is domestically. <laughs> Please go ahead. Sorry,
1: I was just gonna. I was just gonna agree with you. I have. I was just gonna say that that you know my experience has actually been that. Um, sometimes doing business outside of the uk is way easier you know it's sometimes the uk is actually a far more complex market to try and be navigating um and that yes, yeah, so it's not it's not always it's not always as difficult as you imagine it's going to be
2: yes absolutely well i i don't feel very proud when i say this but my business in the uk is less than 10 percent of my overall turnover that kind of tells you that you know trading internationally is not that yeah, hard
1: absolutely Poonam, thank you so much for being with us and, and joining us from India as well. It's been absolutely fantastic and we've been very lucky to have you.
2: Thank you so much for for giving me this platform to speak to.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much, Poonam, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Unlocking Insights. Please subscribe to the series to be sure that you never miss an episode. And if you share on your social media channels, please tag us using the hashtag Unlocking Insights podcast.